This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Dear listeners, and welcome to episode number 10 of Let's Get Real on Film Geek Radio. I'm Andrew Johnson, and this is the show where we talk with filmmakers, producers, actors, writers, and other people in the film industry about their work. Coming up, my Cinema Fix co-host Monica Castillo talks to director Gabriela Cowperthwaite about her documentary Blackfish, which has now expanded to several major cities across the country and is getting a lot of attention. It's a documentary about whales, except it's not really a happy documentary about whales. It tells the story of Tilikum, a very aggressive orca that killed some trainers while in captivity a few years ago, and it exposes a lot of the very inhumane practices that places like SeaWorld will engage in in order to train these wild animals. It forces the viewer to ask some tough questions like, hey, should we really be trying to domesticate animals like this and make them perform for our entertainment at all? And if we do want to do that, well, are there better ways to go about doing it? So uh, it's, it's a really provocative film, and it's getting quite a lot of buzz. So definitely go check it out if it's playing in your area. And uh, without further ado, here is Monica Castillo talking to Gabriella Cowperthwaite about Blackfish. So blackfish. I <laughs> know. Here we go. Yeah. How did you cross come across this amazing story? And what about Dawn's story stuck out to you? Because I saw that you had written before. It was only fragments of the news clippings and the television runs and stuff like that that appealed to you. But what clicked with you to made you look further? Yeah. I think. Um, I guess what what made me want to kind of dig deeper was mm-hmm. that um, I actually didn't understand why a killer whale would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that killer whales and people got along. I thought they left us alone in the wild. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand why a whale would kind of bite the hand that feeds it, mm-hmm. too. I sometimes make an analogy about dogs. Um, when you hear about a, a mauling, a dog mauling, it's usually that the dog mauls somebody else, a stranger. Mm-hmm. You never hear about it mauling like its master or its owner. And in this case, I mean, it was a training session where she actually had fish Mm -hmm. and was feeding it. So why would he make that decision? None of it squared with me. So I just had to answer kind of those questions. And how did you get started on such a big project? Very slowly. I was going to say, I don't think a lot of that information was out there at that time. Yeah. Well, um, one of the best um, sources that that I went to very early on in the, my research was an article called Killer in the Pool mm-hmm. by Tim Zimmerman, yeah. who wrote for, um, uh, he writes for Outside Magazine. Mm-hmm. Some, some things that he kind of unearthed about just how killer whales came to, came to be in marine parks was all news to me. So that was an amazing, I think, find to be able to sort of read that article and, and um, find some of the things that he had found out. That was one step, I think, also just reading the autopsy report mm-hmm. and then finally getting a chance to interview the folks that I interviewed, starting with the former trainers, former mm-hmm. SEAL trainers, 
and hearing their stories because of course in my mind they're the only ones who could really truly yeah tell the story from inside mm -hmm. the park walls and then talking to researchers and neuroscientists and all these things were just uh, and you know activists who have really known all of this stuff for decades. Um, and I'm kind of, I had to become their student yeah. because all this stuff that I'm unearthing in this film really isn't me unearthing it at all. It's me telling information that has mm -hmm. existed out there that they've been shouting from, from the rooftops for a long yeah. time. So yeah, it's just really, you know, interviews and reading and talking to the right people. Was it hard to find those trainers? I think that was one of the biggest arguments for your cases were their testimonies, more or less, and their stories. And they're still, you can tell they care a lot for these animals. They get very emotional uh, with some of them. Yeah. How was it like to get in contact with them and to hear their stories? Yeah, no, it was, um, to me, it was mind boggling. It like opened up a whole new world for me, only because, um, for one, they touched that world. Mm -hmm. They believed in the same dream that I think we all believe in when we take our kids to SeaWorld. I took my kids to SeaWorld. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I don't come from animal activism. I, I live an hour away from SeaWorld Orlando when that happened. So, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's the same exact thing. You just sort of think Yeah. in my head, I thought, you know, to the extent that captivity is not great mm -hmm. uh, and, and bad, especially for, you know, intelligent sentient animals, it's kind of horrific. SeaWorld must be the best case scenario for, I'd rather be a, a killer whale at SeaWorld than I would in a primate in a substandard zoo. Mm -hmm. I truly thought that. So anyway, I think that's, you know, I kind of embarked on it with this ignorance and uh, feeling that this park was a, a great place. And I think the trainers also, when they entered into their jobs there, mm -hmm. also felt that way. You know, felt that this was a dream job mm -hmm. um, for the most part. To me, that was just really accessible mm -hmm. from a storytelling standpoint, you know, talk to the people that can tell you what it was like working for the dark side. Yeah. You know? Well, that <laughs> was, that's part of the feeling that I almost walked, that I walked away with it uh, after watching the movie is it's almost this sense of the dream dismantling. You talk about how you took your kids to SeaWorld and you hope that they learn about nature and they have, feel a better connection with the uh, ocean. And instead it's hurting the animals that are there. And in the same time, these trainers that they thought that they were one with the animals and yeah. then that's not the case. Right. Obviously that wasn't the narrative that you were looking for originally. Right. Right. <laughs> Could you talk a bit of, uh, about shaping how the story, cause you go back even to Tilly comes first Marine park where again, it was very substandard. It was very, mm -hmm. it was a very sad story. Mm -hmm. There is a bit of a hope that you frame in the story of how, Oh, he's better. He's going to, you know, be okay in sea world. And then all of a sudden, no, it's even worse. That's, that's not the case. That's right. That's right. Um, for me, it's almost uh, a balancing act. You don't want it to be all doom and gloom, I guess. Right. And right. At the same time, you're still telling a story. It's a very sad story. That's right. That's right. I think in terms of the storytelling, that's the thing that I knew from the get-go that mm -hmm. I wanted to tell a story. I didn't want to um, present a bunch of facts and mm -hmm. tell you that, you know, you should feel this way or that way. Or for me to assume that, that an audience member would know any better than I did mm -hmm. that SeaWorld was the place that it is. I mean, I just, I needed to be able to just tell the story. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that I discovered this stuff, I mean, it was through facts. It was through the story, um, what happened then and then what happened next and what happened next. It resonated with me. So um, I thought if I could stay true to that narrative, you know, and, and truly just tell a truthful story that um, 
it had a chance of being a powerful 80 minute document, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of going back, mm-hmm. that was, um, important for me for a number of reasons. One, I think Telegram's story started so long ago. Yeah. And I came into this story finding him to be terrifying. Mm-hmm. I didn't have like this natural empathy for Telecom the way mm-hmm. some, I think other people did. Yeah. I just thought this is so scary. Mm-hmm. Stay away from that whale. Like, yeah. you know, this is, this is a psychotic incident. How, how terrifying. So mm-hmm. again, one of the first things I did was read the autopsy report mm-hmm. and learn about what that killing, what that, that incident really was like, mm-hmm. how prolonged it was and how scary it was. Yeah. So I knew in order to develop any understanding of what was in his head um, at the end of the film, which, you know, we'll, we'll never be able to really know, yeah, yeah. but to be able to get back closer around. to that, I needed to go and see what happened to him. So through that, mm-hmm. through going back that many decades, I was able to not only tell his story, but also find my protagonist and find that he was mm-hmm. a victim of, you know, an industry. Yeah. It also made me less, I guess made me focus less on that terrifying incident mm-hmm. and more on, I can't believe more incidents like this don't happen. Well, some of the more terrifying scenes, I think, were also just home videos that were shot. Did you crowdsource? Did you ask trainers for them? Anything you can imagine. Yeah. I, did, I did everything. I, I mean, it was just quite extensive. Yeah. There's a lot of footage there that's from SeaWorld. There's a lot of footage that was shot uh-huh. by visitors. There's stuff from people's personal archives. Um, so possibly even YouTube? Yeah. Not mm-hmm. not from the attacks, I don't believe. Okay. Any of the attacks were from you, people. Okay. You know. But more like the fun stuff, some of the shows and things like right. that when they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, it's from so many different sources. Um, I mean, it's an impressive collection of evidence, but it's also, it goes again and tells the story. And for me who grew up going to SeaWorld, it was quite interesting and sort of nostalgia. Yeah. So it is, it is. it is a kind of double-edged sword, I guess, going into this and seeing it for right. people who are close to the park or do go frequently yeah. or have gone frequently. Exactly. Well, and it's like, you know, my times when I visited SeaWorld, mm-hmm. which, you know, once a couple times as a child, yeah. going to San Diego with my family and then, mm-hmm. you know, taking my kids there, they're all good times. Yeah. They're all happy memories, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you, you look at the shows themselves and it's almost saccharine. It's like Technicolor. Yeah. It's like beyond happy. It's almost just, and that's, I think, when you start feeling the, the creepy element come in, where yeah. it's like, it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's too much. It's actually cheesy. It's actually yeah. so rehearsed. It's also it's when the show weird. goes wrong. And then the show yeah. takes a turn and it's like a fun house. It's suddenly kind of scary. It's like yeah. everything you thought is just turned uh, mm-hmm. 180 degrees. Yeah. I guess that's one thing that is very, that I feel very strongly about. I think we're all anesthetized. Mm. when we're in these environments, yeah, you know, it's just like, it just works on our, on every single, um, you know, our hearing, our sight, our, the music we're hearing yeah. and the smiles on everybody's faces. And, and it's, um, you could just kind of be a little bit of a drone mm-hmm. watching this thing that you're liking because you're supposed to like it mm-hmm. and you just let go of your self-reflection and you don't examine or you don't think beyond what you're seeing. That's what's scary. Yeah. It's because I've always considered myself someone who can see the underbelly in the darkness. You know, like I yeah. get it. I just, you know, I'm whatever. Pay Cynical attention. <laughs> right. I, I pay attention, yeah. you know, and all those sorts of things. But to think that I was, I got, I got caught up, caught up in the whole rigmarole. Yeah. You know, as much as the next guy. Yeah. That was terrifying for me. So I, I did feel like I had to show um, the footage of what we remember from SeaWorld, mm-hmm. you know, and then the truth. And I will say too, that the trainers love the whales. 
mm-hmm. care for the whales at their own expense, yeah. at their own risk. You know, they're on a daily basis, mm-hmm. the ones who are really facing these risks for love of, out of love of, for the whales. And I do believe that there's an element of that that you witness when you're watching the show. Mm-hmm. And even the trainers kind of admit, like, it's palpable. Their love for the whales, you mm-hmm. see it. That's probably the, the one real part, mm-hmm. the one authentic thing that you're watching when you watch these shows. Yeah. You know, is that love? It's almost difficult to watch because then there is, when things get tragic, they get hurt as well. Right. Exactly. And they, and even if it's a, just a whale specific incident, like I think the, one of the more shocking videos was when uh, one of the whales was raked. So when another whale bit into another whale during a show and it surfaced and you saw that it was bleeding right, in right. front of the audience, you can tell that, well, I think it cuts back to a trainer. They were very upset in terms of yeah. like, oh, these yeah. things would happen because they're kept in captivity and so closed in. And this is not a family. This is not a pod. It's That's right. who the shuffle ends up being in the pool. That's right. Well, it's interesting you say that about the, you know, the trainers having love for the whales. And mm-hmm. then when they see the whales compromised and, yeah. and upset or calves, you know, stripped from moms and that yeah. kind of thing. Like, this is stuff they never forget, but that they have no, no decision-making power over. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. One of our trainers, John Hargrove, said that when he would be pulled down, because mm-hmm. he had his share of aggressive incidents. He's been, he was a serial trainer for, I think, over 15 years or 14 mm-hmm. years or something. He said his initial response when he would be pulled down or taken down by a whale, mm-hmm. he would not feel terror mm-hmm. or or frightened. His first initial reaction would be his feelings were hurt. Because, like, we have this bond. Oh. Why would you do this to me? Yeah. What do, I thought we... You know? Yeah. We were all cool. Like a betrayal. Yeah. It's a betrayal. That's exactly what he says. Yeah. And, you know, when he's let back up, he gets it. It's frustration. This is, this whale wasn't happy because of this or whatever. Yeah. But to think that initial reaction is one of just kind of profound betrayal or sadness. Mm-hmm. This kind of speaks to how the trainers view these whales, you know? I guess one of the other disturbing scenes was when you took maybe a back tour or one of the tours with uh, SeaWorld staff and just filmed it like I'm guessing as just another tourist there in the group and they all said the same script that was against what science was said. You do a lot of evidence base. So you, you have the scientists come in and say, no, that's factually wrong. Did you ever take these tours before and say, you know, I would, someone should fact check this? Or no, did they ever? Never. I would right, they, you assume they're experts. You do, I guess. Who would know anything more about killer whales? Mm-hmm. The sea world. Yeah. In my mind, I guess maybe, I don't know if that I ever had given it that much thought, mm-hmm. but I thought if there's information to be imparted to the world about killer whales, yeah, wouldn't SeaWorld be the ones to be able to do it? I mean, my gosh, they're touching them on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, they're swimming with them. In my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds, that is its own form of science. Mm-hmm. Only when you realize that, number one, you're not even really interacting with a, a real whale behaving in the way it's supposed to be behaving mm-hmm. and only when you know that nothing that that's coming out of that park is squaring with what people are seeing in the wild yeah it's only when you know those things that you realize that it's just spin yeah they're telling you whatever they need to tell you to make it okay that they still keep these animals in captivity they tell you they live 80 years but they have a life life expectancy of you know 20 or something or 12 or yeah you know, whatever, 25 in their parks, then what are people going to say? Yeah. Wow, these whales don't live very long. Yeah. What is it that you guys are doing here? What was the most difficult thing to either watch or hear? And were there any scenes that you decided to cut 
Um, in terms of difficulty, calf separations, learning mm-hmm. about those was just terrible. It was a whole new level of disappointment mm-hmm. in what people are capable of. Yeah. You know, I'm not one of those people that thinks people are generally evil or, you know, like, yeah. we're so terrible. I mean, I actually think that. But so that was much good of- that you have the, the fishermen there. He right. said, we didn't know what we were doing. That's the thing. Like, I actually think so much of what we did early on with these killer whales was, you know, out of our curiosity and, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, can I reach across this species barrier and make a friend? Yeah. I do think a lot of that plays into it. You know, of course, the moment it becomes a business, yeah, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. The whole thing becomes an evil system. But I just generally don't think of people as being bad or ever wanting to do kind of anything terrible to these animals. And so when I hear about the calf separations, I think to myself, who could who could just stand by yeah. and let this happen and be okay with it? It's just, it, to me, it's so clearly wrong in every every way that something can be wrong. Mm-hmm. That was tough for me. I think that, um, that yeah, Pen Cove was incredibly tough hearing what happened, you know, that this was, this animal was taken from this pod and the pod just sits there yeah, trying to talk to her, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, she's vocalizing back. So they're clearly... Yeah. Having a conversation, just imagine what the conversation they're having is. It just kind of breaks your heart. Yeah. But then, you know, Daniel, Daniel Dukes, mm-hmm. that whole story about the guy who got came into the park and stayed after hours. Yeah. And ended up dead. And they just wrote it off as misadventure. Misadventure. That's exactly right. Wrote it off as a homeless person yeah. or a drifter. I mean, it got worse than that, what they called him in the yeah. media. And it just became a guy who, wow, what a terrible fate. This, this crazy person yeah. sure made the wrong decision. And for that to be written off as the story that will always stick with Daniel Dukes mm-hmm. is so sad to me. You know, just, I mean, I, I'm frustrated with myself that I couldn't find more information on that. Yeah. But, you know, and I guess it, it upsets me that there were presumably cameras at that park. Yeah. Nobody has ever discussed Seen. what really happened. Yeah. And that there were trainers there watching, because um, there a new calf. Mm-hmm. had been born and they really have to watch that calf. These are million dollar whales. Yeah. So um, those trainers would have been there. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't hear anything, I don't know. I just think that someone who has passed away in such an unfortunate way deserves a better story. Yeah. Deserves some sort of examination and, and yeah. something else besides. Well, in some respects, Dawn as well, because they were painting her as it was her mistake. That's right. And I think these, yeah, and with Daniel Dukes, just, you know, yeah. to, to leave the world and allow your story to have to have just some dignity, mm-hmm. it, you know, was something that meant nothing to SeaWorld, clearly. Yeah. And then I think if they're able to do that with him, you know, then mm-hmm. and, and they're able to be okay with the grieving whales and the calf separations and all this stuff, then yeah. what makes you think that they wouldn't try to sort of sweep a uh, top trainer's death under, the, under yeah. the carpet as well? Like what, you know, at this point, if these people can kind of turn a blind eye to so much, so many things that challenge what it is that they're doing, mm-hmm. what makes us think that just because Don happens to be a top trainer, mm-hmm. an amazing colleague, an amazing friend, um, what makes us think that they, they won't find a way to, to sweep that one aside as well? Those discoveries were very difficult for me. I'm sure you reached out to SeaWorld for some sort of a comment. They haven't given you any? No. Not since the movie's released? No comment. I mean, since the movie's released, I have not reached out to them. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. What do you think about my film? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You'll Um, hear from them. (laughs) Right, right. I'm sure. I mean, they know we exist. Yeah. They know that the film's coming out. We know that. But they have not really issued a statement. Mm. You know, I think just just a few statements in the press about how, you know, the film doesn't really talk about their love for animals, Mm. you know, their love for their whales and their desire to keep their trainers safe. There's just been a few blanket statements, but nothing really, nothing direct. Yeah. What has been the audience's reaction? Because you've played quite a few film festivals since. (laughs) Yeah. 
very good reactions from audiences. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we're lucky enough to sell out the theaters mm-hmm. and, uh, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's because people are anxious to hear this story or people just generally kind of gravitate to killer whales and want mm-hmm. to know more about them or if people are wondering about what makes these animals attack. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know the different levels, you know, that, yeah. that are people um, operating at when they come and see the, the film, but have people come up to you and talk to you about yeah. maybe their experiences and so? Yeah, they're very thankful and they're very happy with the film. So we're getting really overwhelmingly good responses. I don't know. Yeah. You never know if that's a self-selected festival group. Yeah, so yeah. you never know if, like, once it gets to the mainstream that I'm hoping people still go yeah. flocking in droves, of course. But mm-hmm. you never know. Got interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, right? Got to stay humble on that one. There are yeah. a lot of good movies coming out this summer. So. Yeah. But from, from what I've heard just in my own circle, it seems like a lot of other people are interested in this, again, because either they share the same, right. they grew up with me and they're only an hour outside of SeaWorld Orlando, or that they've gone to SeaWorld as children. Right. So there's there's a connection there. Right. So they are yeah. curious about that side of the story. Right. And I guess the last question, to end on a high note, um, <laughs> you're not planning to do a documentary on Disney World now, are you? <laughs> no. I am not. I am am not. Okay. Do you have some intel or something? You can talk. (laughs) No. So far, I'm hoping to stay out of any trouble. There. For just a second. Yeah. You know? Well, that's good. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Monica Castillo interviewing Gabriella Cowperthwaite about Blackfish, which has expanded to more cities across the country. So definitely go check it out. As always, you can contact the show by emailing letsgetreal at filmgeekradio.com. You can also comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com and go there to find show notes for each episode. And don't forget, if you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes, where you can also find other great shows from Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, Avenging Angels, and Navigating the Newsroom. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew, and you can follow Monica at MCastingMovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Let's Get Real. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!